Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. All right. Well, listen, I first want to thank Voice America for having me back. I did a stint last year of of shows uh, called The Moment, where I speak to notable people about special moments in their life, important moments in their life, and had a great time doing it. Uh, the show is back now, and obviously, it's it's under this different umbrella of what's happening in the world now. So we're still going to get to lots of moments, but it's hard to separate those moments from what everyone's experiencing today with the uh, with the coronavirus. And you know, I'm I'm really happy to uh, to speak with my uh, my friend Brian Wee today. I'm sure there are a lot of Tesla fans listening right now, but for those that are not as familiar with Tesla. I mean, this is really one of the most authentic American bands that, that grew out of the 1980s. They, they really are. And there's always this thing where they got kind of lumped in. I think it's been 35 years, I believe, since the first record or so. And they were always kind of lumped in with like, you know, Motley Crue and Poison. But that's not what Tesla was about. Tesla was a far more um, organic, uh, to me, an authentic rock and roll band, way more out of the spirit of an Aerosmith than, say, uh, a Molly Crew. And, and Brian Wheat is one of the founding members of the band, and the band has a new album out called Five Man London Jam. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. I want to welcome right now to the moment Brian Wheat from Tesla. Brian, are you there? Hey, Chris, what's happening? How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sitting in uh, upstate New York. Unpacking. Brian, you know, you know, it's it's been somehow it's been thirty years since the five man acoustical jam, right? And the band mm-hmm. you just came out with something new called the Five Man London Jam, which we're going to talk about. But I mean, thirty years ago, it's it's hard to explain to a young listener today that doing an acoustic set was was not a common thing. And it obviously, as a moment for you and the band, it, it deeply affected the trajectory of Tesla. What do you remember about that moment when you guys unplugged and found? this entirely new path for the band? Um, at first, we were kind of apprehensive to it because our manager at the time, Peter Minch, had said to us, you know, this, this woman saw you perform at the Bammies in San Francisco and you played an acoustic version of a love song and she wants you to go play at Boss Gag's Club and do Slims in San Francisco and do a whole hour and a half set. And we said, oh, we don't want to do that. No, we're a rock band. Uh, and he kind of challenged us. He said, well, you probably aren't good enough to pull it off. And, we, you know, he said, oh, okay, <laughs> we're going to go there. So, uh, you know, we put together this set, and, and, and we did it. We had a lot of fun with it. We thought it was, a, you know, it was just a blast, you know, sitting around, drinking beer, and playing, playing these songs, and, you know, way more relaxed atmosphere mm-hmm. than at the time when we were in arenas, you know, 1989, I think we did this thing or 1990. It was all about a show and the glitz and, you know, the image and, and all that stuff. And this was kind of anti all that. Right. And we, we were like a fish in water to it because that's what we were. We were more of a, you know, Tesla sold millions and millions of records and only got one cover of a magazine, which was uh, Law and Friend put us on RIP, the cover mm-hmm. RIP, because we weren't in, we didn't have an image. We weren't an image band. 
Right. You know, right. I, I doubt people could even say who any one of us were, but they knew the songs. And still to this day, I get stuff like people say, oh, you did that song? I didn't know that was you. But they right. know the music. <laughs> right. So it was about the music, you know, and, and we were just sitting around having a good time. You know, to us, it was like sitting in our living room almost, in, in a sense. And, and just, it connected you know, with people. I mean, it songs. did something. I mean, A, there's a lot of bands that couldn't have done it back then because when you strip away the production, all of a sudden you have to know how to play and deliver songs with passion. But but it connected with people. And again, this was not uh, something that was being done a lot back then, right? I mean, you guys in a, in a lot of ways broke down that wall. And I mean, there had been, I remember seeing Zeppelin in 77 uh, at Madison Square Garden. They did an acoustic set and it was, it was a real... A novel idea and people talked about that afterwards but there wasn't a lot of that to do it the way you guys did in a live album setting was really unique yeah we that's you know that's the one thing jimmy page said to me when i when i first met him he said you know you were the first guys to do <laughs> a, a whole live album acoustically you know wow. he said you know other people had played acoustically before but never had done a complete live album so you know, if anyone's blaming us for the acoustic thing, I guess that's the one thing you can blame on us is that we were the first <laughs> ones to do a full-length live album acoustically. And how, and, and how cool to have it acknowledged by Jimmy Page like that of all people. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's one of my all-time heroes and a, and a dear friend of mine now. And, you know, that's what he said to me the first time I met him, which, you know, that, that made all it worth it, the whole thing. Playing acoustic, you know, to have Jimmy Page acknowledge you and say that, you know, he loved your five-man acoustic jam live album. It's pretty cool. <laughs> we're we're going to get to a little bit later in a conversation about this, your friendship with Jimmy, just as a moment what that was. But talk about it now, Brian. So, so you, you guys went into London last year to Abbey Road Studios mm -hmm. and recorded the uh, five-man London jam. Look, for those that don't know, you're not just a Beatle fan. You're a Beatle aficionado. I mean, you're, you're a scholar of the band. So what was it like for you? Mm -hmm go into that studio what kind of describe that moment i don't know if you would have well, been there. i guess it, it'd be like you know christians going to you know bethlehem or something you know <laughs> i suppose um you know you're going to mecca i mean that's where it all happened you know the greatest songs of all time were recorded you know in this space and you know when i'm sitting up there and i'm singing we can work it out on my hoffner bass and the room it was originally recorded in where Paul McCartney was playing his Hoffner bass doing it, it was pretty much the, one of the highest highs of, of my whole career. Brian, when you were in there, did they, um, did they take you sort of behind the scenes and let you see things that people oh, don't yeah. normally they get to see? A, we got the whole tour and they said, you know, Paul played this piano and John played this piano and they were standing right here when they did this. And they've got everything. I mean, you know, the one thing that, that's a little disappointing to me is, is that they don't really acknowledge Jeff Emmerich much there. We'll talk um, about that. You know, they acknowledge, they acknowledge the Beatles and they acknowledge George Martin, mm -hmm. but you know, Jeff who, who engineered all those records, you know, started on revolver and was actually doing mastering and stuff when he was, when he was young, they don't really, you know, say much about Jeff or there's no, there's no, acknowledgement or tribute to him and i'd like to see him you know do something for jeff because jeff was as much a, a part of those you know the revolver and pepper and abbey road and magical mystery tours is is all the other guys you know and he's mm -hmm. just not really acknowledged so that was that was the one thing but i mean 
you know, they say, look, you know, Paul has his own key, studio too. Sometimes he'll just come in the studio and, you know, unannounced and the band will be in the recording and he'll walk in the back door and <laughs> go, oh, hello, I'm Paul. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you know who you are. <laughs> so, yeah, it's cool, man. It's, it, it was really cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's a historic place. I mean, let's face it, it's the most historic studio ever, where the most historic and iconic records have ever been made. Had you ever been there before? I mean, you know, you're talking Dark Side of the Moon was made. Of course. Lots of things. Had you been there, Brian, before recording there? Yeah, yeah. I had done some mastering there uh, because I have a a small label and a management company and, and, and stuff like that that I develop young bands and I was working with one of their mastering engineers on, on one of my bands from England called mm-hmm. Flashfires, uh, and I was I was in the room, but I didn't go into two. I mean, they kind of let me walk outside them, but I didn't go inside them when I was right, the right. mastering sessions. Yeah, well, but well, I the record, in the building. Yeah, the record sounds great. I mean, I, I would imagine that as a band, it it probably was a bit inspiring to be in that space, and uh, it probably oh, elevated yeah. everyone's game, right? Yeah, everyone was 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 pumped to be in there and excited and you know could feel the vibe. But you know, no, everyone it was it was a real positive thing. Everyone was real happy to be there. You know, it's um, the record just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's it's a strange time, obviously, um, to be releasing something. About six months ago, you and I were together up in Sacramento, and you got a phone call around that time that had sort of locked down um, a Tesla tour with Alice Cooper that would have been starting in like a couple of weeks, right? And, mm-hmm. I mean, if and, and I was thinking, you know, this morning, fans are missing going to concerts, but I'm not sure fans understand for a popular touring band how far out you plan your life and just how unsettling and disruptive this is to a touring band where you had this, yeah. first, right? I mean, well, so what's yeah, it I been mean, like that, for that you? Tour is now, I think it's officially canceled. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't know if I'm, you know, well, if, if I'm announcing it today, so <laughs> I don't know if uh, I'm supposed to or not, but I don't really care. Yeah, you know. Well, well what's canceled. it like? I mean, you, you plan out six months ahead, eight months ahead, and this shift happens. What, what, what do you, from a time standpoint, what do you do? I mean, it's like you, you're, well, I guess right you can't do it's, that much. It's, it's, we've never experienced this before. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a situation now where, you know, everything's just been put on hold indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, people don't know when they can go, go back you know, go back and play concerts. Well, for us, it's our work. This is what we do. This is how we earn our living. You know, um, you know, everyone's under the uh, misconception that, you know, you play in a rock band, you must be filthy rich, you're a rock star. Mm-hmm. Well, for some people at the top, yeah, they are filthy rich and they're rock stars. But for a band like Tesla, Tesla's a working band. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, you know, drive a cement mixer, some people work in a hospital, some people are airplane pilots, whatever. What we are is we are professional musicians that tour the, the world, and that's how we earn our living. You know, outside of entertaining people, that's our job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our industry has been hit really, really hard because, you know, all these people are off. And, you know, the bills don't stop and, and you know, everything else. So it's pretty unsettling because we don't really know what we're doing. You know, we don't know when they're going to let us go back and play concerts. And we don't know how it's going to start. If it's going to start, you know, in 500 seaters and then escalate up to a thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I doubt, highly doubt that the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to say, okay, 
the stadium tour for Motley Crue and Def Leppard is, is ready to go. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know, A, if they're going to allow that many people in one place or if people right. are going to want to go, Right. you know, right. to to a 70,000 seat place. You know, I don't know. I mean, then again, you know, you just don't know. I mean, the other day I saw where this guy had church and, you know, these people snuck in illegally and right. stuff. And, you know, so I, I think that people are going to, you know, the things that they want in their life, be it religion or music or movies or whatever, but I think they're going to want to get back out there. But who knows? I think, you know, I, I think we'll see. I can't, pre- I'm not a, I have a crystal ball, you know, I can't, I actually do have a crystal ball, Chris, on my parlor table, but I looked into it and it's not showing me shit. So, um, who knows, who knows, well, you know? but it has, it has affected us, you know, and, and, and outside of that, then you get depression kicking in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, you're a human, you're a human being and there's all this uncertainty, you know, you know, health and, and financial and who knows what the, you know, hell's going yeah. on. Can you cuss on this thing? Uh, you can say whatever you like. Um, okay. You know, Brian, you yeah. bring well, that up. Who knows what the fuck's going on, right? Well, you, but right? you bring up, you, you mentioned so, depression. So it, it, it'll, it'll, you know, it's like, you know, I've talked to, you know, a couple of my bandmates, you know, they're depressed, you know, we're mm-hmm. depressed, you know, it's like, you know, it's, you know, so you got to try to keep positive, you know? And uh, it's unsettling because no one really knows what's happening. You know, you know, you can watch the news, but you know, who knows what what that is? Well, you know, you know it's interesting you know, too because so a lot of artists I, I have taken. Know. I don't know if you've been We've paying never. attention to artists who have taken to going on social media and performing, you know, just sort of giving fans a little taste of, of them playing at home. And there have been some really compelling performances that, that have happened. I don't know if you guys have talked about that at all, but it has, I think people are so hungry for live music. There's such a demand for it that all of a sudden when you see an artist at home, just going acoustic on their own, it's, it's sort of like what you guys did 30 years ago. In originally, it strips yeah. away all the pretense and it's all about the song in an intimate setting. And we've sort of yeah. gone back to that right yeah the only problem with us is we're all scattered apart but right i did see right. this thing with uh sammy hagar's band the circle and i think they were in four different places and they were doing don't get fooled again and i don't know how right. they pulled that off but if we could pull that off that'd be great you know i think I mean? it'd be great and, if you guys did that yeah you see it happening with split screens and zoom i mean jimmy fallon yeah, has but done. i don't know how they're actually like this sounded good. There was no latency. All these things, and, right? And, and, and you know, maybe I'll call my manager and ask him. You know, hey, how do you set this up? You know, maybe you should. You know, because I, I know we'd love to do it, or even you know, play acoustically. You know, like you know, do some acoustic stuff that way. Um, you know, speaking of that, I, you know, Paul McCartney, get off your ass and do some <laughs> videos of you playing your uh, acoustic guitar there. And, Sussex. I would guess I would guess that's coming at some point. I'm speaking with with Brian Wheat from Tesla. Tesla has a new record out called or new record, a new release called the Five Man London Jam, which is uh, a a return to form from 30 years ago when they first unleashed the five man acoustical jam recorded live at uh, Abbey Road Studios in London. If you want to talk to Brian, the number is 866-472-5795. That's 866- Four seven two five seven nine five toll free. If you have a question for him, going to take a break in a minute, Brian. What I'd like to do um, when we get back is you. You mentioned McCartney. Uh, he's I know 
if not your absolute favorite mus- musician on the planet. He's certainly tied up there. And I thought when we come back, you have a nice story, a moment from your life about something having to do with Paul McCartney that I think people would really enjoy if you don't mind sharing that. But in the meantime, yeah, yeah, my name I is... Got, yeah, I got some stories. Hold that story. My name is Chris Epting. This is The Moment. We'll be back right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. I want to apologize. I inadvertently gave the wrong number. If you want to speak to Brian Wheat from Tesla, the number toll-free is 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Brian, we were talking before the break a little bit about Paul McCartney, and I know that you there's mm-hmm. a moment in your life when the band, I believe it's your first trip to London in the late 1980s, and, and mm-hmm. you have this meeting on the street that's a really cool moment. Why don't you describe that? Well, I was in London. It was 1980, I think, 7, mm-hmm. 86, 87. I can't remember. I think it was 87 because the record was out. So I think it was like maybe the spring of 87. And we were in London, and we had done a couple of shows at the Marquee Club, and we were doing a bunch of press because the British press loved our first album. Mm-hmm. So I was at Geffen with Frank Hannon, and we were doing these these interviews and and stuff. And we happened to we said, well, okay, let's walk back. You know, we're going to go to um, look at some guitar shops or something. Frank's a guitar nut. I mean, that's all he does. I mean, he must have three thousand guitars or something. I don't know what he's got, but he's got a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. So we're walking through this park, and I noticed that this park's just Soho Square. So as as I'm going, oh, so square. That's where Paul McCartney's office is, you know, because when you belong to the fan club and says, you know, MPL, Soho Square. And uh-huh. just at that moment, I look up straight in front of me, and there's this beautiful Art Deco building, and it's MPL. And on the third floor, I look up in the window, and it's fucking Paul McCartney <laughs> sitting out there looking out the window. 
Right, there he is, right? And he's like, oh, shit, dude. So I, I waved at him, and he waved back at me, and, you know, I, I kind of signaled, you know, are you coming down? And he, like, held up his hand, like, you know, 10 minutes, you know, whatever. And uh, so I, I said, I'm going, dude, you know. I'm going to stay here. Frank said, so I'm, okay, I'm going to go get some guitars. So, uh, you know, the funny thing about it is, is my manager at the time was this guy, Peter Mensch, who I, I love Peter Mensch. He's one of my favorite people ever. And, uh, and I knew that he knew Paul McCartney's uh, manager, this guy, Richard Ogden. And I said to Peter, I said, hey, Peter, you know, I'm going to be in London, man, doing this uh, I'm just a young kid, right? <laughs> Full of piss and vinegar. Uh, you know, in London doing these marquee shows, can you call that guy Richard Ogden and try to set up a meeting with me and Paul McCartney? He goes, hey, look, we, Paul McCartney, you don't want to fucking know you. You know, I ain't calling. Don't be stupid, right? I'm like, oh, okay, well, man, I was just asking, you know, little shy kid. So I see Paul McCartney in this window, you know, and, and Mitch is in, in Holland with Leopard finishing Hysteria at that time. So McCartney, you know, he comes down and I happen to have my camera with me just, you know, because I'm in England the first time I've been anywhere really. And, uh, I go up to him and say, Hey, Paul, how you doing? He's like, Hey, how you, buddy? How are you, man? And I said, uh, I, I, I'm playing a band. He goes, yeah, what's it called? I said, Tesla. I go, it's my first time here, my first record. And we're playing a couple of shows at the marquee club. And he goes, great, man. Lots of, lots of people get their start there you know, good luck. And, uh, and then I took, you know, maybe fucking 10 pictures with him. Right. And, you know, most of them were blurry, but a couple of them came out and you showed, yeah, you showed that. me one of those pictures and it's a moment. Yeah, I mean, seeing you wide eyed, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. So the next thing, right. Is, you know, we do the things, whatever we're supposed to do, play the marquee club. And then we go to Holland to play a gig at this place called the Paradiso. So, you know, Mitch is going to come down that night with a couple of guys in Leopard. It was Steve Clark, Phil Collin, and Rick Allen. So I take my film to this, like, one-hour photo map, you know, in Amsterdam. And I get the, the, the prints made. And, you know, there's all these pictures of me and Paul McCartney. So Mitch <laughs> walks in. I don't know if you've ever met Peter Mitch or not, but he's a pretty, like, boisterous guy, you know, you know. And he walks in and, you know, it's like, hey, we, what's happening? And I said, what's happening is this. And I show him all these pictures. And he went, Kid, you got balls the size of Texas. <laughs> you met Paul McCartney. I said, yeah, without you calling and helping me. <laughs> well, that's better, though. So I think that for was the, one, it, that, the that way was you think the first time I met him. But, I've met but him I mean, the way you down. figured it out as a fan is really funny that you didn't need an industry connection, that you actually stumbled into him looking up at a building in London. Yeah, I like to think it was, you know, God, you know? Yeah, well, it absolutely feels like there's some destiny. Hey, we have a caller for you, Brian. Uh, if you want to talk to Brian Wheat, the number is toll free, 866-472-5788. And we have Craig on the line. Craig, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Craig, say hi to Brian Wheat. How you doing, Brian? Nice to meet you. Hey, Craig, how are you, buddy? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Huntington Beach, California, but I, we do have a little connection. I did live up in West Sac for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm a Sacramento. You know, I was born and raised there. I lived there till about three years ago, my whole life. Yeah, I was over in the Broderick district. Kind of interesting coming from Huntington Beach and spending a couple of years up there. Yeah, you know that whole area now has been redeveloped and it's like booming. Yeah, I was there when they were kind of doing that. I really like that Brews and Burgers place. So that's kind of a neat place to go. Yeah, you know, our uh, tour manager, assistant manager. Dean Robson lives in West Sac. He's got in a little house there, and it's booming, man. So it's kind of a neat what's area, happened, actually. It's, kind of, it's it's neat. You know, I got a question for you. You know, I mean, first off, I just want to tell you, I love you guys. You guys are just, you know, and 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 when you guys came out, you're I I just feel you. It was just so needed at the time. Music had gotten kind of, you know, I'm 59 years old, so I kind of grew up in the rock and roll era, and, and you guys kind of brought that back, you know, a rock and roll, just a regular rock and roll band. You weren't all about, you know, sparkles and dazzling and everything, just good music. And, and yeah, I, I'm well, just curious what, what made you guys, why you guys chose to do the, uh, you know, the remake of Signs. I mean, it was a great song. It was kind of a, you know, a semi-protest hippie song in the early 70s when it came out and then when you guys redid it you, just, you did a great version of it it was just awesome good question yeah. Craig. Uh, Thank i you. mean it wasn't we didn't do it in the sense of protesting or you know there was no statement to be made i mean the truth of the matter is is that when we decided that we were going to do this acoustic show you know there were only so many songs that lent out of our repertoire at the time to be done acoustically. So we said, well, why don't we all pick, you know, a cover song, you know, to, to do, you know, you know, things that, you know, maybe would be acoustic that would work or, you know, whatever the case. And obviously I picked, we can work it out. That was, you know, I'm like, I got one, we can work it. You know, cause it <laughs> immediately, you know, it lent it to this acoustic thing. It was basically an acoustic song. And, you know, uh, Frank picked Truckin' and Tommy Skeo picked uh, Mother's Little Helper. And Troy Lachetta, you know, is a big Creedence Clearwater fan. And he said, you know, look, I want to do Creedence. I want to do well. And great. And Jeff said, I want to do the song Signs. Now, I knew Signs because I had the 45 when I was a kid, when it came out in 71 or 70 or whatever it was. I, I had that, that, that 45 because I come from a, a family, a large family, and I'm the youngest, so my oldest brother is 16 years older than me, so I was exposed to a lot of music, which is why I'm a, you know, Beatle freak and all that stuff. So um, it was just Jeff. He said, let's do this thing, Signs, you know, the Signs song. And I went, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember that song. Signs, Signs, you know. And uh, I don't think the other three guys really knew the song, uh, had ever, ever really heard it. Certainly Frank was too young. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't live through that. And, uh, mm-hmm. And that's why we picked it, and it wound up being you know one of it wound up being our biggest hit ever. You know that, that was amazing? that song sold more and was bigger than than Love Song, and we play it every night. And, you know, <laughs> some people bitch and complain about it, and we'll still play it every single night because you know it's 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 part of our our thing. Just like Little Susie isn't one of our songs, you know, and we play that every night. We've always. We never really cared if we wrote the song or not. If it was a great song and we could connect with it, we, we did it, you know. And well, I think, just too, to be one of those. 
I, Brian, I think Tesla also has always been about sort of giving the fans what they want and what they came for, right? There was never sort of an attitude of depriving yeah, them. Yeah, when you come you to know. one of our shows, we're going to play the majority of the tracks that were the hits, you know, and we will go in and do a, a few deep cuts and stuff. But, you know, the one thing I, is when I go see a band and they've had a, a, a string of, you know, hits or whatever, you know, and they play, you know, one, and they play all this obscure stuff. It's like, man, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> you know, I remember seeing Al Green uh, about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And he didn't do any of those songs. He did all these religious songs. He, did, oh, like, he, a doesn't, do, he doesn't do Let's Stay Together or any of that now? Well, I think he does now, but at the time he was really anti-doing uh, that. You know, he did like a verse of... Uh, tired of being alone and i'm like man i just spent all this money to see al green sing all these <laughs> these al green songs and he didn't you know and it wouldn't have mattered if they were religious songs or not i mean he just didn't play the hits you know and i, I you know but then you go see paul mccartney and he plays three hours all the hits right that's probably right. why i go see paul mccartney you know all the time people ask me you know you know who would you go i don't really like going to too many concerts but who would you go see i say well i go see paul mccartney any day of the week I'll see Aerosmith any day of the week, uh, and probably Cheap Trick I could see any day of the week. And really, outside of that, I mean, I I don't really go to many concerts. I do want to go see Elton John because mm-hmm. I've seen him before, but just because supposedly it's going to be his last right last go round. So. It's amazing. Anyway, these, sorry, I, was I thinking, got a little bit sidetracked, but that no, that's no, not at all. Did. But it's you mentioned Elton John, and it's interesting that a lot of these last uh, kind of victory lap tours, Elton John, Kiss, have all been put on ice for now. You know, think of the logistics of that. Yeah, well, They're, the whole industry's put on ice. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's that's that's really, you know, it's not just it's not just us. It's entertainment. It's baseball. It's basketball. It's, right. You know, it's football. It's hockey. It's it's movies. It's it's everything that. Hey, Brian, you, we talked a little bit about uh, a moment in your life meeting Paul McCartney. You referenced uh, Jimmy Page earlier, you know, Jimmy, you know, talking to you about the uh, five minute acoustical jam record. And then you also mentioned that you and Jimmy have become friends. I would think for, for a young Zeppelin fan coming out of the 70s, that's got to be a pretty special thing for you as well, getting to know, you know, arguably. Yeah, no, he's, he's one of my dear friends. Um, you know, um, I have this really close friend, Ross Halfin, that's a photographer. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, we're like, you know, we go all over the world together, and I hang out in his house, he hangs out at my house, and he's like a brother to me. Um, so I was in London in 95 mixing Bust a Nut with Frank. And Ross called me and said, hey, do you want to go out to see David Lee Roth tonight? And I said, yeah. Now, I knew that uh, Ross and Jimmy had become friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, prior to this. So I, I'm, I'm there, and you know, I said, you know, cool. I said, hey, can I borrow your leather jacket? He's like, yeah. He goes, hey, Jimmy might come to the gig tonight. I went, oh, cool. He goes, you know, if, if he comes, I'll introduce you to him. Don't be a stupid fanboy, you know, just be cool. And I went, oh, yeah, I yeah, know, I am. I mean, I'm not really like that anyway. Like, oh, my God, you know. Um, so that, you know, 
we're sitting in the uh, Hammersmith Onion Bar, and and walked Jimmy, and Ross introduced me to Jimmy, and I said, you know, hi Jimmy. Ross is my friend Brian and stuff, and I think I said to him, do you want something to drink? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. So I went and got him something to drink at the, at the bar there. And when I brought it back to him, I said, there you go, Jimmy. He said, you know, I really like Five Man Acoustic Jam. And I'm like, excuse me? He said, yeah, Five Man Acoustic Jam. I said, man, I didn't even think you knew who I was. He went, of course I know who you are. You're Brian and Tesla. We're on the same label, uh, you know, because he had Outrider at the time. Right, and, right. you know, I, I love your acoustic record. And I went, wow, man, thank you so much. And, and you know, from then... You know, we, we, we hung out the rest of the night with Ross, and then Ross went home, and, you know, Jimmy wanted to still go out. I, was, I think, you know, that's back when, you know, that was 30 years ago or something, 35 almost, whatever it was. And, you know, we went out for a little while, hung out, some after-hours thing, and then we just became kind of friends. And then when he came uh, and did the Page Plant thing, you know, he invited me to, to the, a couple of the shows in San Francisco and Sacramento. And uh, we just, you know, struck up this, this friendship. And and it just, you know, it was, we don't really talk a lot about, like, Led Zeppelin unless he brings it up or something, you right. know. But, we you know, we just, we connected on a personal level. And, and you know, we exchanged Christmas gifts. He's just, he's just a really, really sweet gentleman. English gentleman and, you know, me and my wife, Monique, uh, you know, we just love him. He's, he's just, he's just like, to us, it's weird because to me now, you know, you're right. when I was a kid, I had Jimmy Page posters on my wall and, you know, next to Paul McCartney, Jimmy Page was my hero, right? It was Paul, Jimmy and Freddie Mercury. But to me today, it's just Jimmy, you know, uh, and, and I don't really look at him as Jimmy Page, Jimmy Page, lights up, and until the one day when I actually played with him. Well, I was going to say, if you yeah. can set it up, because you know, it, goes, it goes beyond just having a friendship. You had an opportunity up in, C- it was in Seattle, right, where you actually yeah, got yeah, to play rock and roll a, on stage with Page. Yeah, they were giving him some award thing. Um, you know, uh, Paul Allen from Microsoft did this thing, and then his little museum there, or whatever. All these guys were there. You know, there was... Paul Rogers, Rick Nielsen, Soundgarden guys, Duff McKeegan, the guy from Nirvana. All these people were, you know, doing a tribute to Jimmy Page. So they asked me to do it because they knew I, I was real good friends with him. And he didn't know I was going to be there. Uh, and I said, you know, can you play with Paul Rogers and do a couple of fun songs? And I said, yeah, sure. So that was great. I got to meet Paul Rogers and, and play with him. And we did, you know, uh, Satisfaction Guaranteed and Radioactive. So we were the last ones to play. And Jimmy and Scarlett were sitting in the, the front table there. And they said, and now um, uh, on the stage from Tesla, Brian Wheat and Paul Rogers from Bad Company. And Jimmy's looking at me and he's smiling because he's surprised the <laughs> shit he didn't know. And, uh, you know, I'm right in front of Jimmy and Scarlett playing and and we did satisfaction guaranteed and and um radioactive and jimmy was never really meant to get up and play you know matter of fact you know it was said no he's not going to play and after everything was done and you know all these all these artists myself and everyone else you know that that had played um you know 
Jimmy and, and Paul Allen and all these people are giving standing ovation and, and Jimmy said, I'm going to come up and play. <laughs> so, you know, they had a Les Paul for him just in case. And he came up and he came over to me and goes, well, what are we going to do? I said, I, you know, I, I guess rock and roll, right? He said, yeah. So everyone got on stage. But the coolest thing is the next morning, Rolling Stone ran a, a, a piece on it. And in the picture, it's just me and Jimmy Page. <laughs> <laughs> right on the, on the cover of rollingstone.com or whatever and it was just cool at that moment right when the drummer started rock and roll Jimmy was standing ne- right next to me he turned his back to the crowd and looked at the drummer and when he got this look on his face and he turned around and went oh my god it's Jimmy fucking Page <laughs> right and wow. I'm, I, I was wearing creepers and I think they grew about six inches I was just floating <laughs> And, uh, that's a moment. We talk about, we talk about me playing, we can work it out and Abbey road being one of the highest highs. Well, I think that Jimmy page was playing with Jimmy page was a higher high than that. If that shows you the magnitude of that at that point though, then he was Jimmy page, but you know, uh, you know, for me and and Monique and and stuff, he's, he's Jimmy, you know, Mm -hmm. just our friend, Jimmy, Jimmy. you know, we don't treat him any differently. He don't treat us any differently. We're just, we're friends and I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a very special friendship. Brian Wheat from Tesla. We were talking about uh, the band has a new album out called the five man London jam. If you want to talk to Brian, the number toll free is 866-472-5788. Brian, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some things that are sort of non music related that I'm not sure people know about you that I think uh, make you even more interesting. So on that note, my name is Chris Epting. This is the moment I'm with Brian Wheat. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, Telling and frivolous, I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover. More rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america you are listening to the moment with chris epting if you have a question or comment about our show please send an email to chris at chris that's chris at chris 
Now, back to The Moment. Back on The Moment here with uh, with Brian Wheat from Tesla. We've heard great stories about Paul McCartney, about Jimmy Page, about the new Tesla record, Five Man London Jam. But but Brian, there's something about you that, that sort of makes you, um, I think, a different kind of rock star. And it's things that you go through personally um, that, uh, that a lot of people don't know about, but that a lot of people can probably relate to. I don't know how you want to tackle it, but, but why don't you kind of take it from there? You've shared with me kind of offline some of the struggles you go through on a daily basis. Why don't you explain to people um, what that's like for you and what exactly it is we're talking about. Well, I, I, I suppose you're talking about some of my health issues, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I have autoimmune disease, so I suffer from ulcerative colitis, which is, isn't fun at times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I suffer from anxiety and, and depression sometimes, which cannot be fun as well. So those are the two big monsters that I have to deal with, you know, and you on deal a daily with them a lot. Basis. I mean, you've told me before what it's like on a daily basis sometimes, just the struggle, especially with depression and anxiety disorder and, and what that does to you and how it affects you. And, and again, being an artist who's got to be out there in front of people all the time, I would guess that it's, that makes it, that even complicates it more, right? Because it sort of, well, you've you. got to put on your brave face and, and, and go do your job. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't really, I haven't really talked about it much ever because I'm not a woe is me kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But it is something that I have to deal with, you know, on a daily basis, whether I'm on tour or or at home or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs and you just try to keep, keep, keep on solid ground, you know, um, wherever, you know, wherever you're at, whether, you know, if you're in Toledo or, you know, London or Madrid or whatever, you know, uh, it, it sometimes it can get tough because touring is training and can take a lot out of you. And you know, look, I've been in a band for thirty-seven years with this, you know, relatively the same guys most of that time, and we're all strong individuals. We have strong personalities, and sometimes you know we can irritate each other and cause stress on each other, and it's just the way life is. And you know. I think that people think, well, if you're in a rock band, you know, everything's always perfect and great. And, you know, you're flying for its class and you're staying in five-star hotels and, you know, you have nothing to complain about, you know, but that's not really true. I'm like, you're just like anyone else out there, you know, listening. I, you know, I have my struggles during the day, whether it's, you know, depression or, you know, my gut's killing me or I'm, you know, bleeding from, you know, colitis and, and it's just, you know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, you know, you being the people out there, Yeah, we all have things that we have to deal with. And just because I play in a rock famous rock band doesn't mean I don't have to deal with the same things that you do. It's just different. If you're an airplane pilot, you know, airplane pilots aren't exempt to this stuff or, you know, high rise builders or anything, you know, so neither are entertainers. You know, Brian, in, in Brian when it comes to the depression, do you ever have a chance to talk to fans uh, on any level and sort of hear what they go through? Is it something you've been open mm, with? No, no, only because I'm kind of shy and, and people, I think, take it as I'm, I'm real standoffish. But mm-hmm. if I don't know you, I, won't, I don't talk to you just because I'm shy. I'm a shy guy, really. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, people say, oh, he's, he can be intimidating, you know, I don't want to talk to him, you know, he scares me, but it's just, it's not that I'm standoffish yet. Actually, when people do finally meet me, and I do talk, wind up talking to them, they wind up, you know, I wind up talking to them for a long time. Sure. We'll talk to them again and remember them and stuff. So I haven't had much time to actually talk about other fans, but I'd be willing to, absolutely. You know? Well, I just think it's funny. It's something you don't hear a lot of rock and roll stars come out and talk about. Not that they're not going through it. I'm sure others may be as well. But it seems like in today's day and age where a lot of there are a lot of uh, mental health issues that are on the rise, what's happening in the world and everything, that someone like you would have a good opportunity to make a connection with somebody in a way that might be more meaningful um, because if someone's a fan of the band, obviously you've made a musical connection, and I would guess that if uh, at some point, um, you know, another kind of outreach would be would be healthy for for a lot of fans of, of the band just to know that they're not alone. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, absolutely, and especially with what we're going through with today. I mean, well, know, I was going to ask you about that. What does this do to you? How, does does this situation today exacerbate? issues you might feel on a person personal you know level every day absolutely absolutely it's got to right i mean yeah it does i mean you can't not go through this and not be affected i mean you know my anxiety level is higher um you know than it was and you know depression that's that's hard you know but you have to sit there and tell yourself you know look we'll get through this. This is not going to be in the world. You'll be okay. And you, know, you, you end up like talking to yourself, almost like a psychiatrist sometimes. Right. You know? And, and, uh, but yeah, it definitely affects, affects. Well, affects I appreciate me. you sharing that. I mean, I know it's, um, I know it's a, it's a big deal for you and you, and you, you deal with it and you confront it, but it's, uh, to talk about it publicly, even to kind of start you out, know, like, I'm no I expert. think it's important. Don't get me wrong. I'm no expert on depression or anxiety. I'm, but I do suffer from it, and I, mm. and I, and I, and I, you know, I, I know it. I know it well. It can be a beast, but you know, the main thing is to try to, you know, stay positive and and, and overcome it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, suicide and all that stuff is definitely not the answer. And mm. and you know, when people I see people commit suicide, you know, from depression or anxiety, it means it breaks my heart. Well, again, I think you, you starting to come out, uh, you know, and, and discuss this publicly, I think is a big deal. I thank you for letting me broach that topic with you and, and shifting gears for a second. You know, you talked about McCartney, you talked about Paige. There's another um, musical outfit that I think plays a big part uh, in terms of moments of your life, and it's Def Leppard. I mean, when you guys first hit the road uh, in, in really in a big way on the uh, on the Hysteria tour in the late 80s, they became like your big brothers, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and they still are to this day. They're still like our big brothers. Talk um, about that, because that relationship, know. they really took you under their wing, and it's never really ended. They became good friends of yours. Uh, Def's guitar player, Phil Collin, produced your last new record, you know, before the live one. And and I know you're mm-hmm. good friends with Joe Elliott, but they've really, that relationship is important to you, isn't it, with Def? Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're our kin. I mean, you know, we started out, you know, under the same management, we're under the same management again. Um, you know, we've we've toured with them multiple times. You know, when people ask me, you know, what's the best band you've ever toured with that treated you the best? It's always been Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I need advice, I'll call Joe. I'll call I'll call Phil. You know, me and Rick uh, both paint for the same gallery. We both do do our work for one with gallery. Um, you know, uh, 
I don't have much to do with, with Vivian only because I just don't know him as well. Right. And, you know, when I see Savoir on the road, he's great. You know, we'll, we'll go out to dinner now and again. But, I, I, you know, I imagine I'm probably closest to Joe and Phil. have more more interaction with them. And then, you know, because of the art and stuff, I see Rick quite a bit because we do a lot Wasn't of Wasn't there a moment, there was a moment on the first Def Leppard tour when you told me a while back about Joe Elliott coming to your hotel room, right? That was an interesting moment for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was funny because when we we first went to um, um, England, that was our first tour with them on Hysteria when they were doing England. You know, I, I hung out with Steve Clark a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 Phil, and 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 Rick, and and we'd see Sab, but Joe was kind of. I thought, well, he must not like us because he never came around, right? We never really talked to him much. I remember asking Cliff Bernstein, does, does, does that guy not like us? He's like, no, no, it's just, you know, you know, this is a big thing for them. They're coming back and, you know, with Rick with one arm and, and stuff. And, okay. So that tour ended and I, I never really talked to Joe very much, you know? So when we were in rehearsals in Glen Falls for the Hysteria Tour in America, he happened to just be in like the room next to me and Frank. Me and Frank used to share rooms, and and uh, he was, you know, in the hotel because we were there for like a week or something. He was in in uh, the room next to us. So me and Frank, you know, maybe we would make a noise or whatever in the middle of the night, you know, or later in the evening, you know, twelve thirty, whatever it was. And knock on the hard door, and it's Joe, and he's like, "Hey, guys." <laughs> like, hey man, what's going on? Come on in. So he came in, and we just started hanging out. And uh, we had an acoustic guitar, and Joe started playing all these wing songs, right? Because you know, I told him I liked wings, and I think we connected on Paul McCartney and Wings. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that point on, we just became, you know, fast friends and. You know, I've always looked at as Joe Elliott like a, a mentor and a big brother to me. And that's, you know, he came to my, my wedding when I got married the first time. I mean, you know, he's just, you know, I, I talked to him last week. You know what I mean? He's just, he's one guy in a band. Like, I don't have a lot of friends in bands. I mean, I have acquaintances, you know, of course we know each other, right? But I don't really hang out or, or you know, speak social, you know, talk socially or, you know, but Joe is that guy. And, you know, it's Joe and, and, and Jimmy and, and, and Phil, Phil Collins, I'm, I'm very close with as well, Phil Collins. Um, you know, that's it. You know, it's not like I'm calling up Rich Robinson or Axl Rose or, you know, uh, Dicky Six or anything. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll correspond with them now and again, or if I see him, you know, it's friendly. Hey, how you doing? But we don't hang out. We're not pals. But Joe Elliott is a pal. He's a brother. Def Leppard is interesting because to me, there, there's a lot of uh, similarities with the way Tesla is in America, where there's both bands have this sort of working class, blue collar roots thing. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. I think sometimes Def Leppard gets lumped into what, what was, what was right, it called? It's the same. You know, the new wave yeah, of British I mean, heavy you know, metal. They have similar backgrounds. They come from a small town in England called Sheffield. Right. right? right. And Sacramento is, is similar to Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they grew up like we did. You know what I mean? So it, we have a lot of similarities. 
similarities in, in I think how we came up and you know there's five of them there's five of us we both play melodic blues based hard rock and roll you know I mean? there was lots of things and we just you know you know just the way it all came together you know they've always been you know like our big brothers and, mm-hmm. and you know we've always been like you know we look we grew up playing their songs you know we were playing Rock of Ages. We were playing Saturday Night High and Dry. We were playing Rock Brigade and, you know, stuff off their first album. When we were trying to get a record deal and learn how to write songs, we were trying to emulate Def Leppard, you know, and and those kind of bands. But we played lots of songs in their repertoire. Well, it's amazing how things work out sometimes. You know, you take all these moments from your life and, you know, whether it's idolizing Jimmy Page and Paul McCartney, having those moments with those guys, playing early Def Leppard songs and winding up touring with them and developing the the close kinship you've got. I mean, Brian, at this point, I know you got a long way to go, but up until this point with you and Tesla, it's been a, it's been a pretty cool ride, it sounds like. Yeah, one day I'll have to put out a book about it or something. You think? Yeah. I think that would be a good idea. You know what? I I like how you think, Mr. Wheat. Yeah, but, you yeah. Know, with, with that, our hour is about up. I want to mention, too, though, briefly, you, in addition to music, you're a terrific photographer and painter. If people want to check out your artwork, where, where can we steer them so they can see uh, this other other facet of, of your creative output? Um. At the Wentworth Galleries, there's I think there's ten or eleven out of twelve of them on the eastern part of the the country. Mm-hmm. And the Wentworth Galleries, Paul Stanley's one of the artists that that does mm-hmm. art there. Rick Allen from Def Leppard, Peter Max, the legendary Peter Max, is one of their artists. And and you, uh, you, and know, you. now me, yeah, yeah amazing. now me. And, and it started out. I mean, basically, what I do is called enhanced photography. It started out. I, I, I went with my pal Ross and I took pictures all over the place and started taking some pretty good pictures, you know, people said. And I showed them to the owner uh, of the gallery, Christian. And he said, well, I, I don't do photography. I do fine art. And I went, okay, cool. Well, you know, because I wanted him to maybe do an exhibit, you know, with my pictures. So the next day I ran into him again. He said, hey, you know, I got an idea. You ever think about painting on your pictures? I went, what do you mean? you know, paint on the pictures, like take the pictures and then paint on them. I said, no, I never have. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a painter. He said, well, we'll try it. So he kind of, you know, inspired me to do this and, and help, help guide me on it. And, Here and then are. it just turned into this thing where I, I take pictures and then I enhance the pictures with paints and, and colors and stuff. And, and well, it's beautiful stuff. It is. I encourage yeah, fans thank to you. check it I, out. I, I enjoy it. You know, talking about like how you were talking about anxiety and depression and, and, and stuff like that. You know, I have an easel and stuff in my dressing room. And a lot of times it's therapeutic for me, you know, to just lock up in my dressing room after sound check and, and work on a painting and stuff that really keeps me kind of relaxed and stuff. Well, that and that, amazing. You know, that helps. It- yeah. Brian, we're about out of time. Uh, check out Brian's artwork. Of course, check out Five Man London uh, Jam, new from Tesla. Uh, this has been great. Brian, thanks for taking the full hour with me, man. I appreciate it. Back here on The Moment. My name is Chris Epting. Until we do this again, I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.